Amen. Well, as I mentioned, my name is Charlie Turner. I'm the lead pastor here at River Rock Bible Church, and we are so excited for all of you to be here with us. We're glad to see everyone here. We are in the middle of a series uh, going through Proverbs 6, chapter, chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, which says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that he abhors, and we've taken a look at each one of those things, and today we're going to get to feet that rush into evil. And as I started thinking about this, I was just reminded we were, we were actually on the mission trip in, uh, down in Mazatlan, and, and something happened where we just started quoting uh, Forrest Gump. And it was like, this is a movie that I've seen at least 100 times. And I just remember the part in Forrest Gump, at the very beginning, the lady sits down next to him and he says, those look like comfortable shoes. I bet you could walk all day in shoes like that. And she says, my feet hurt. Right? She's, she's a nurse. She's been on her feet all day. And he says, Mama always said there's a lot you could tell about someone by their shoes. Where are they going? Where are they been? Right? And that's true. That we can tell a lot about someone about where they're going, where they've been. And that's exactly what we're going to see in this passage is that our feet dictate where we go. Right? We saw last week about our heart. And we talked about a heart that devises, devises wickedness. But guess what? Your feet have to carry you there. Your feet carry you there. And over and over and over again in Proverbs, we, we start to see uh, this idea of our feet taking us places that, that this is indicating the direction of your life, the direction that you will go throughout your life. I want us to just turn to Proverbs chapter 6, chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Let's look at the whole passage this morning, and then we'll jump in to looking at just the feet. Proverbs 6, verse 16 says, The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes. And we talked about the need for humility, right? It's, it's easy for us to look at this and say, well, I know what God hates, so I'm just not going to do that. But there's so much more to God's word that he actually tells us what he would have us do, not just what he wouldn't have us do. So in, to avoid arrogant eyes, we have to be humble. A lying tongue. We talked about walking in truth. Hands that shed innocent blood. JT talked about how we need to value life. And we need to value life. And then we went on to a heart that plucks wicked schemes. And then feet eager to run to evil. A lying witness who gives false testimony. And one who stirs up trouble among the brothers. So this morning, we're going to focus on our feet. The direction that your life is headed. The direction that your life is headed. And Proverbs has so much to say about this. In fact, Proverbs 14, verses 7 through 8 says, Stay away from a foolish man. Keep your feet away from a foolish man. You will gain not, no knowledge from his speech. The sensible man's wisdom is to consider his way, right? Consider how you're walking, but the stupidity of fools deceives them, right? So we have to consider the way that we're headed. The wise think about where their feet are going, where they're headed. But the fool is the one who mocks at sin. The fool is the one who says, it's no big deal that I can get away with this, that, that it doesn't bother God when I act this way. It makes light of the holy things. It says, that's too hard. That's too hard, and so I'm just gonna keep walking this path because that's the easy path. God, God won't really care. He'll forgive me in the end. Right? That's what foolishness does. And we saw last week in Proverbs, uh, excuse me, in Psalm 37, verse 23, it says, A man's steps are established by the Lord, but he takes pleasure, and he takes pleasure in his ways. 
we know that God establishes our steps. And so we have to ask ourselves, what happens, what is it that happens that if God's directing my steps, yet I'm not finding myself walking in a way that honors and pleases him? Like I find myself making these foolish decisions over and over again. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Now, I just want to challenge you with this question to be thinking through as we talk about this this morning. Who is, who is ordering your life? Who's the one giving order to your life? Who is directing your steps? Is it God or is it you? We'll, we'll look at more of that as we go on. Proverbs 16.9 tells us, uh, that a, man, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Again, we see the same idea that it's God who gives us the direction of our lives, uh, that we, we may make our plans, but it's God who directs our steps. It's God who continually directs us. We must choose to walk with God, to follow his path and not our own. We're going to look at that a little bit more about what does that look like? How do we do this? Because we all make mistakes. We all face that temptation, and we saw last week that uh, when Scripture talks about the, the wicked plot evil, we said this is not just like, okay, I've been tempted, and, and now I've made a mistake. This is, plotting is like, I'm thinking about this, like, how do I get away with this, right? We talked about that last week, and when we look at the feet, when we look at temptation today, what we're going to look at is those opportunities where something is presented to us, and we can either go down God's path, the straight and narrow, or we can choose to go down our own path. And there's something that happens. There's something inside of us. And I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and see what it says. Paul tells us, you guys may remember we worked our way through 1 Corinthians earlier this year, and this is what Paul says. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. And God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, right? So, We'll come back to this. Will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. So that you are able to bear it. I hope you understand the significance of this verse. Do you understand the significance in what this verse is saying, River Rock? This verse is saying that there is no temptation that you or I will face either today or to tomorrow or any other time that you cannot overcome. There is no temptation that you cannot overcome through God's power, but not your own. That's the key to what we're going to look at today. This is what I want us to see. There is no temptation that you face greater than God who lives in you. There is no temptation that you face greater than God who lives in you. Now, this is, this is for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. If you're here this morning and you say, man, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to get to that. But I want you to know that if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, there is no temptation that you cannot overcome. Jesus Christ was a man, faced every temptation that we as human beings face. Yet he was able to overcome because he walked in line with the spirit rather than with his flesh. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about walking in line with the spirit. The, the sermon title is just walk in line, but we're gonna, we're gonna talk about how do we walk in line with the Holy Spirit. 
And the reality is that if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, the God that is in you, this Holy Spirit lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you to overcome that temptation. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I have made a lot of dumb decisions in my life. Anybody else out there? All right, three of us? Okay, good. There's a lot of you. When I look back on those dumb decisions, usually they were made hastily, right? Very rarely have I sought and really sat down and really thought through a decision and ended up making a, just like a really dumb decision. I mean, I told some stories last week about my brother and I. I don't have time to tell all the stories of dumb decisions, but let's just say I've made some dumb decisions. And as I look back on my life, there's something about every single one of those decisions, dumb decisions, decisions that led me to sin, decisions that led me to like physical pain because I decided to jump off the roof, things that were just dumb, that there was something that when I look back, there was something that happened. There was a phone call. There was a text message. There was a comment from my wife or from one of my friends. Or there was this internal gut check of don't do this. Anybody ever experienced that? And you did it anyways. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that is the Holy Spirit. And I know this because when I look back on my life, I look at those dumb decisions and I realize that what I did was I decided to go my own path. And I wasn't listening to the Holy Spirit. I decided that, that whatever temptation I was going to succumb to was going to be greater than what God had planned because I had tuned out the Holy Spirit and decided to listen to myself. But this verse tells us that there is no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to man, but God is faithful. He'll provide a way out. That text message is your way out. That phone call is your way out. That comment from your friend of, hey, are you sure this is the best thing? That's your way out. That that unsettling feeling in your stomach, that is your way out. But so often we don't see it because we're not walking in line with the Spirit. I want us to, to understand this, that no matter how enticing something is to you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you and gives you power to overcome that temptation. It is your choice as to whether or not you listen to it. There is no alcoholic drink that can entice you that is more powerful than God. There is no computer screen or screen on your phone that can entice you. There is no person who's not your spouse that can entice you to sin that is greater than the power of God. There is no video game that can entice you to waste hours and hours and hours and hours of your life that is greater than the power of God. There is nothing that could tempt you, that is greater than God's power living in you. But we have to choose to listen to his voice and to let our feet stay on his path rather than to turn to the right or to the left. People tell me all the time, you have no idea what I'm going through. Like you don't know the junk that I've been through. You don't know the stuff that I'm facing right now. Uh, the way that I'm currently living, I just feel like there's no hope. And I want us to understand that that is not true. That is not true. There is nothing in your past, in your present, in your future that is stronger than God. He has overcome. Through his son, Jesus Christ, he has overcome. There is nothing. He did all of this through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is greater than anything you are facing. It's greater. 
He didn't just save you on the day you put your trust in Jesus Christ. He saves you from your sins now, and he saves you from your future sins. The question is, will we listen to him? He, he went to the cross. He knew all of your sins. Everything you've committed in your past, everything you're committing right now, and everything that you will commit in the future, he knew all of that, and he died for that. And God raised him from the dead to show that his power was greater than whatever you're facing in your life. And what happens so often is we hear that voice of the Holy Spirit and we just decide, you know what, I think I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to let my feet rush into this sin, rush into this evil. Now, it's, it's easy for us to talk about what we're not supposed to do, um, how we're supposed to, you know, uh, pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And I want us to, to turn to Galatians 5 as you, as you think about this. I, I want us to, to look at this question of who's guiding your life. Who's guiding your life? Paul's going to give us two options. You're either guided by the Spirit, that is God, or you're guided by the flesh, that is you. I love that when Jesus died on the cross, before he goes to the cross, we'll look at some of these verses in just a little bit, he promises his disciples that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. We just sang the song about our orphan heart was given a name. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit who will be in you. He will guide you. He will remind you of all the things you're supposed to be doing. And so we have this promise. And so whatever you're facing today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know that the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is in you if you will just listen to that voice and follow that voice rather than your own. So the problem is that we often fuel the things that are tempting to us, right? We, we think we can just play around with a little and like, oh, well, I can just do a little bit of this. You know, I could just click on that, that CNN or Fox News link that talks about the supermodel and the bikini that she's wearing, and I'll be all right. That's okay. I can do that. But what does that do? That leads our th way of thinking. Or I can just go to this bar, and I can hang out for just a little bit when you know alcohol is already a struggle for you. And you say, well, I'll just, I'll just, you know, be around people that are doing it, and I won't do it myself. And we put ourselves in that position, and before we know it, the drink's in our hand or our mouse is clicking somewhere else, Right? We put ourselves in that position where we're, we become entangled and we begin rushing to it, not letting the Holy Spirit be our guide. So I want us to look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Again, this question, who's guiding you, spirit or flesh? This is what Paul says, starting in verse 16. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh... Uh, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. And what I love about this is that in Romans chapter 7, we understand that Paul had this exact same struggle. That even Paul, that most of us would put way up here in his spirituality, was still struggling with this. And I don't know about you, but that's a comfort to me, to someone who feels like I can't go any further down, but down there, right? I feel down there so many times because of this struggle. But I know that Paul, one of the heroes of our faith, had this same struggle. 
He goes on and he says, they, these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Anybody ever been there? You find yourself in that dumb decision. You're like, what am I doing? I didn't even want to do this. He's going to go on. And he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife. So far we're doing great, right? Like most of us would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't, I don't struggle with promiscuity. I don't struggle with these things. A lot of times when Paul puts these things together, uh, one of the things that will be thrown in there is homosexuality. And a lot of us want to elevate that and we say, oh, well, you know, that's like the one that we should be really against. But listen to what Paul says next. He, he includes this in the same list. He says, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. So Paul's saying this is not an exhaustive list. And one of the things that I really want to encourage this church is this, that so often we look at someone else's sin that they are struggling with. And we say that that is greater than mine. Thank you, Lord, that I am not like these sinners. Sound familiar? And we want to elevate someone else's sin. Yet I think Paul is very intentional about putting some of the stuff that most of us are going to struggle with. And I want to explain some of these things to you. The hatred that he talks about is an inner disposition when we start to feel that anger towards someone else. What does Jesus say? He says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother has committed murder in his heart. You ever been angry with someone? You ever been angry with someone? Paul goes on and he says, he says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. He's already, we've already covered that. He says, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that those who are not guided by the Spirit, he's saying that if you're continually living in these things, that you're not being led by the Spirit. And he's saying that if you're continually living in these things, that you cannot inherit God's kingdom. Now, this is not works-based salvation. I want to make that absolutely clear. But I, I want to challenge each and every one of us. See, I can't answer the question based on what I see in your life as to whether or not you've put your trust in Christ. There are a lot of good people who don't do any of these things, who have no faith in Jesus Christ, and sadly their feet, their lives are destined for eternity separated from God in a, in a very real place called hell. And there are people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ who struggle with things. My question to you is, are you hearing that voice of the Holy Spirit? Do you even hear it? And I, I would just ask you, if, if you're facing temptation, if you're facing over and over again some of these things that Paul has listed or, or any sin that is just like continually in your life and you're not hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, I would just really encourage you to spend some time praying, have I received it? Have I put my trust in Jesus Christ? Or do I have an intellectual faith? Because there is a difference. Like, I can know things are true about Jesus, yet not have put my trust in Jesus. And there's a barrier, and that barrier is great enough. That 12 inches from your head to your heart is great enough that you may think you know things, but you've yet to put your trust in him. And we know that it's not until we've put our trust in Christ that we receive the Holy Spirit. And so, 
I, I, this is hard for me. I am a firm believer in salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. But I would hate, I would hate for someone to walk out of here thinking, yeah, I believe, I believe in Jesus, like up here, like I know all these things true about Jesus. My question to you is, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Are you hearing from the Holy Spirit? If not, I would just challenge you to really pray through. Like, God, is there something missing in my life? Is there something missing? Is it that I have only an intellectual faith? Do I need to take another step? And we would love to process that with you if that's you. And let me tell you, there have been plenty of times in my life when I don't hear the Holy Spirit, and it's because I've drowned it out. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But I just, I want to challenge us with that. So Paul goes on and he lists all these things. He says this inner disposition of anger. And then he lists strife, conflict resulting from rivalry. When I start to view someone else as my enemy, like when I'm angry with them because they have something that I don't. Jealousy, which is the next one that he lists, is resentment. Resentment towards someone. Outbursts of anger. Some translations say fits of rage. This is like intense anger. Like imagine being on 35, right? I-35 in traffic. Like that's why I live and work in Georgetown because this would be my life if I had to commute into Austin every single day. Selfish ambition. That's working to get ahead at the expense of others. Working to get ahead at the expense of others. And I can tell you, even as a pastor in my own life, one of the greatest things that I had to learn was to let go of selfish ambition. And one of the greatest pieces of advice that I ever got was from a mentor who said, don't use people to get things done. Use things to get people done. I had a bad habit in my early years of using people to get things done. It can hit anybody. He goes on, dissensions and factions, division. This is division between two groups, thinking us versus them. Dissension has to do with personality. Factions, the word that, that is used there in the Greek is the same word that we got our word heresy from. But it's not used in the term of like sound doctrine. Paul's saying you have your opinion and they have their opinion, and so we're going to fight with each other. Right? We got, a, we got an election coming up. Anybody have any opinions on that? Anybody fighting with other people who have different opinions on that? Right? So Paul says, that can't be here. He says, not here. He says, uh, envy. This is ill will because of some perceived or real advantage that someone else has over you. Maybe it's a position, a title that they have. Maybe it's more money than you. Right? But we perceive that they, or maybe it's very real, that someone has a position over us. And we desire to have that position we see this all the time. Uh, it can be material possession or it can be position. We see this all the times in our homes, in our churches, and in our society. Because we don't like the idea that someone might have authority over us. That someone might have more than us. And we struggle with that. So all of these things, he goes on and he lists drunkenness or carousing. Some translations will say orgies, if you see that in there. Now these two seem very similar, drunkenness, but as I looked at this this week, what I realized is that drunkenness has to do with the individual. Carousing is when you put yourself in a position socially where lots of drunkenness is going on, and usually that leads to immoral behavior. Right, so Paul's saying, hey, we gotta avoid all of these things. This is the unrestrained use of alcohol and it's often associated with immoral behavior. Now, I just wanna challenge us again. 
if, if you're finding yourself continually living, I mean, not like, hey, I messed up, but like, this is my lifestyle. Like this is, if you ask somebody on the street about me, this is what they would say about me. If these things are defining your life, I just really want to challenge you, like spend some time in prayer and ask God. I would rather have you spend one sleepless night in prayer with God and wake up, you know, the sun comes up tomorrow and you say, you know what, I have put my trust in Christ, but I'm just not listening to the Holy Spirit, than for you to walk out of here and someday leave this earth with a faith that is not genuine, not ever having had the Holy Spirit because you never made the leap between what I know to be true to transferring my trust from my own good works onto Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So I want us to look one page over. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So Paul tells us, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are sealed. We are sealed. And this idea means that it cannot be taken away from you. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. So we know what it looks like to walk by the flesh. Now, what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? Let's look at verse 22 and following. Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, notice this fruit is singular in the original language. This is all one fruit. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have all of these things in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, when I was in fourth grade, my parents taught a class at the, the church that we went to for fifth graders going into sixth grade called the Survival Guide, right? The Believer's Survival Guide. This was to help prepare kids uh, to go into middle school. And since my parents were the teachers, I was lucky enough that I got to sit in on it. And one of the verses that we had to memorize every week we had a verse to memorize, and we would go around the table showing that we had memorized it, and we just took our turns. Well, there was a young lady in the class that she, it was her turn to say the verse, and her friend next to her kept, like, mouthing the words and, like, just loud enough kind of whispering for her friend to hear. So she's going through the verse. She says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And by this time, like, the little chatter is getting on her nerves, and she goes, shut up, and self-control. Right? And so I've always remembered this verse. I've always remembered that story because right before she says self-control, she has no self-control. But Paul says, against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow with the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying that if you have the Holy Spirit, that these things live inside of you, and it's a matter of whether or not you will listen and choose to walk in line with the Spirit versus walking in line with the flesh. And I can tell you every single time in my life since I've put my trust in Christ that I have made a decision that, that walks in line with the flesh rather than with Christ, like there's a distaste, like there's, there's just something inside of me that doesn't sit right. That's the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And I know when we've made that mistake, it's easy to beat ourselves up, but I believe the Holy Spirit brings that conviction so that it would lead us to repentance to say, God, please give me the strength not to do this again. 
And when I was in college, I got in the habit of doing this. Whenever I was facing a temptation, I had a, I had a struggle that was, for a period of my life, was a very big struggle until I got some accountability and had someone walk through um, this with me. And, and I'll just, uh, this is hard for me. Some of y'all may walk out. When I was in high school, I became addicted to internet pornography. And that followed me into college. And this is even after I knew God had called me into ministry. And it took Kevin Whitmer, my good friend, who had the same struggle. And he and I started talking about it. We started praying for each other. And we said, we're going to become each other's way out. When you feel that temptation, when you're on your computer and that that pop-up comes up or whatever it is, I want you to call me. And we will find a place. We will meet on campus. You'll come to my apartment. You'll come to my dorm room. And we will pray about this. And it was only through that through that time, that I really start, started, man, it, for a time, it took me kind of dependent on Kevin to be a little bit of the Holy Spirit in my life, and every single week, he would ask me, how are you doing here? And then when we were done, he'd say, did you lie to me about any of this? And it took someone else in my life to, to bring me to a point where I could more clearly hold, hear the Holy Spirit working on its own. So I can tell you, it is easy to drown out that Holy Spirit in your life. We have to listen to it. We have to listen to it because it's there. And I can tell you every single time when I would fall, just that feeling of disgust and and guilt that I would feel. But it was when I would talk with Kevin that I would understand that conviction is one thing. Conviction is from the Lord. Guilt is from the enemy. The enemy wants to tell you you can't be a pastor because you struggled with this. The enemy wants to tell you that I, God can't use you because of this. God wants to break your heart and say, turn from this and walk with me. I have something better for you. That's conviction. That's conviction. And we start to feel that when we walk with the Holy Spirit. Now the reality is this. We all have radios in our car. Everybody have a radio in your car? There are hundreds of stations that you can pick up on that radio, but the only one you hear is the one you're turned, tuned into. The only one you hear is the one you, you're tuned into. There's a story of a young Cherokee boy. And one of the practices of this Cherokee tribe was that they had two wolves that they would raise. There was a good wolf and a bad wolf, and they would make these wolves fight each other about once a week, and sometimes the good wolf would win, and sometimes the bad wolf would win, and they would take bets on this, and nobody would ever win 100% of the time except for one man, the chief of the tribe. This little boy was his grandson, and he noticed that grandpa always wins. The chief of the tribe always wins. Everyone else said, well, he's just the wisest one of us, so therefore he knows who's going to win. But the little boy decided to ask his grandpa. He said, grandpa, how do you always know who's going to win? And he said, it's easy. It's the one that I feed that day. Whichever one you feed that day, your spirit or your flesh, is the one that's going to win out. 
You've got to feed the spirit and not the flesh. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Are we being led by the spirit or the flesh? The first thing we have to do is receive the Holy Spirit. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you are outgunned, you are outmanned, and you do not have the power to overcome, maybe for a time, maybe for a time, but you don't have that power because you lack that power. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does that mean? Jesus is saying, unless you repent of your sins, and what that means is not that you make yourself clean first. What that means is that you change your mind about your sin, that you understand that your sin is big enough to separate you from God for all eternity, to keep you out of heaven, to send you to a very real place called hell. And you understand that that sin is greater than you. And you can do nothing to make up for that sin. There is no amount of good works that you can do to make up for that sin. And so you turn, you change your mind, you repent, and you say, God, I understand that my sin is separating me from you, and there's nothing I can do about it, but I believe that you have put your son, Jesus Christ, sent him to this earth to to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for my sins, to be buried, and on the third day be raised again to prove that he's overcome the, the power of sin and death. And I am choosing to trust in him and him alone for my salvation and not my good works. And when you do that, the moment you do that, you pass from death to life. You receive the Holy Spirit. He comes and he lives inside of you. Look at what Jesus says 10 verses later in verse 16 John of, uh, of John. Jesus says this. He goes on and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Amen. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have put your trust in Christ alone as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. That's the first step. You have to receive the Holy Spirit. Now let's get to the practical stuff. Next thing I want us to see is this. Once we have the Holy Spirit, we have to fan the flame of the Holy Spirit, not quench it. We have to fan the flame of the Holy Spirit, not quench it. Paul tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, fan into flame the gift that was given to you. Now, Paul is talking to him about the gift of the Holy Spirit that he received, but I'm going to use it just generally to tell us that we have got to fan into flame the Holy Spirit that lives into us. He tells the Thessalonians, Paul tells the Thessalonians about God's will for them. He says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Some translations say, don't quench the Holy Spirit. The word that's used there in the original language is the same word that would be used, like if I said, go extinguish that fire, go put out that fire. And what Paul is saying is that there are some followers of Jesus that what they're doing is the Holy Spirit starts to talk to them, and they say, I don't like this, it makes me uncomfortable, and so they put a wet blanket on top of it, or they start throwing sand on it, they start throwing water on it, and pretty soon, guess what? Their lives look like just the rest of the world. They're walking in the flesh rather than in the spirit. Paul says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. We have to fan it into flame. I love that. I love that idea of fanning it into flame. I love going camping with my kids, building fires. Uh, I love, you know, getting down on the ground and, and just whoosh, blowing that ember into a flame. 
And some of you guys know that sometimes that's not enough. Like you need, you need some bellows. You got to actually pump that bad boy. It's got to get going. And Paul is saying, keep fanning that flame. Let it continue to grow inside of you. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit is that as you listen to the Holy Spirit, you hear it more, right? It's one of those things, like the more you do it, the more you do it, right? The more you do this, the more you'll find yourself doing this. So I just want to give us some practical ways. How do we fan the flame of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Number one, real practical, by reading your Bible. By reading your Bible. Start every single day. I don't care if it's five minutes. Start your day with reading Scripture. In Psalm 119, David writes this, starting in verse 101. He says, I kept my feet from the evil path to follow what? To follow your word. I kept my feet from the evil path to follow your word. I have not turned from your righteous judgments. For you yourself have instructed me how sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want to keep your feet from evil. You got to be able to see where you're going. Start your day off in the word. Next is prayer. Next is prayer. We have to pray. Jesus encouraged his disciples. He says, stay awake and pray so that you won't be, so that you won't enter into what? What's it say? Temptation. So that you won't enter into temptation. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Let me just give you a real quick acronym to help you, help you with this. It's S-T-O-P. Start today off praying. You want to be able to tune into the Holy Spirit? Start today off praying. Father, would you speak to me? God, as I open my word, would you speak to me through your word? Next is sharing your faith. In Luke 12, verse 12, Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to say when they bring you before rulers. When they bring you and they make accusations against you, don't worry. My Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. And here's what I know. All I know is that as I read the book of Acts, every time that they proclaim their faith, when it says that they went out and they proclaimed their faith boldly, what I see over and over and over and over again is a movement of the Holy Spirit working in someone's life. And, and I don't know about you, but what I found is that when I share my faith, when, I'm, when I make it a point to share my faith with someone, all of a sudden I start hearing the Holy Spirit say, now go sit next to that person. Just ask them how their day is. Hey, I want you to go over here and start this conversation. And just let them know you're praying for them. It happens to me all the time. Some of you guys get random texts from me throughout the week where it's, hey, I'm just praying for you. Well, that's the Holy Spirit telling me someone needs you to pray for them. And it starts to happen more and more and more. Why? Because I'm in tune. I become in tune with him. The last one that I want us to see is community. Community. Just like with my friend Kevin, I needed community. I needed someone around me who was going to challenge me and ask me whether or not I was listening to the Holy Spirit. And there's two ways this works. One is our Sunday morning community. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't give up worshiping together. 
There are times when it's, a, it's, not, it's not through the word. It's not through my teaching. It's something that Stephen says or someone who's doing announcements or someone in the lobby as you're having coffee. They say something to you. And all of a sudden, it reminds you of something or you hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. Maybe this is the place when you're getting ready to do that dumb thing, it's over coffee out in the lobby that someone says something and you're like, oh, I can't do that. And the Holy Spirit uses that conversation to draw you. It also centers you on Jesus Christ for an hour and 15 minutes. It starts your week off in the right direction. The other thing that I would say about this is Hebrews 3.13 3, says, but encourage one another daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Encourage one another daily. Essentially, encourage one another so that you're not tempted to fall into sin. And I realize the idea of us gathering here daily, man, that would be awesome. But that's just not reality. So we need a group of people that we can walk through life with. And we call those small groups here at River Rock. They meet throughout the week. And our hope is that you would fall so in love with those people that maybe y'all get together even outside of your group time. We had our small group over last night. We just had some fajitas and hung out. And it was so good to see them. It was so good to see them and just spend some time together. These are all the ways that we just go about fanning that flame. We have to fan that flame. And I can tell you, Sunday morning is not enough. Sunday morning's not enough. There's two ways that fires die out. You can extinguish it, or you can stop feeding it. Maybe it's time we put another log on the fire, and then we fan it into flame. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you.